Welcome to Sip and Spin with Luke and Andy. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Sippin' with John. No, Sip and Spin with Luke and Andy. There we go. That's what I'm looking for. I'm Andy, and as always, I have with me my best friend, Luke. How's it going, buddy? (laughs) I was pausing so that I wouldn't talk over you, and here we are. Here we are. We're still getting the hang of this. We're still... Um, yeah, how's it going, buddy? It's going. It's going great. I'm feeling it's pretty an, good. It's just another Thursday. Just another Thursday. Just another Thursday. Here we are, sitting in front of our microphones. Sitting and sipping and spinning. That's right. Spinning and sipping and flapping our gums. <laughs> um. So this week, we are going to talk about a an artist and an album, I guess, that's pretty well new to both of us um yeah which is kind of a first kind of a first for the show yeah i think the closest we came to this was probably tops was somewhat of a newer artist to us but um but you had you had kind of been listening to them for a little bit this was something where like like with this album here you like stumbled across it and then you like sent it to me right away and you're like check this out and i'm right and then we were like shit let's just do this because it's new to both of us and why not (laughs) Within the last week, right? Yeah. This was this yeah. wasn't like yeah. Tops was like a few months, you know. I kind of listened and back and forth, and this right. was like last week. I was like, "You got to hear this." Right. Um. So the 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 uh, artist is the Lounge Lizards, and the album is called Voice of Chunk. And and I don't I, <laughs> I I'm not ridiculous. gonna get yeah I'm not gonna get too far into uh, the details here but I never found out what that meant so I don't know nope. if Luke did no nope. nope. <laughs> um so not before we get too far into the music we'll uh, we're gonna we're gonna step back and get into our spins <laughs> get them spins going sit down and get nice and comfy get your butt cheeks. Into that ass groove. <laughs> you, know, you all know you got your well-worn Sip and Spin podcast ass groove going yeah. in your chair so you can sit back and my, listen to us talk about this stuff. My groove. My grooves. Don't don't bust my groove all out of shape here. Come on now. Um, And and so, yeah. So this week, um, we're going to talk about a, a, a classic, classic cocktail dating back to fucking who knows when uh because <laughs> nobody goddamn knows that's <laughs> because I nobody know. because nobody ever seems to know no, nobody keeps track of this shit um this is another cocktail that uh is uh, is kind of the origins are a little bit uh lost in time um yeah, i find pretty- it rather suspicious that all of these people that are making cocktails are uh are kind of not keeping track of their records here and, yeah. and they're being lost in, in history. Just fucking lazy is what it is. It's kind of um, like when you asked me what 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 uh, what the rum drink I had been making two years ago was. And I was like, I drank so many of them, I can't fucking remember. Can't keep track of that there's, stuff. There's yeah, rum I in it. I know, I know there was rum in it. <laughs> I know there's rum. That's about as far as, as, far as I can go. Um, so this cocktail is called the Sidecar. Um 
So sidecar, we, we I don't know if we've t- talked exactly uh, if we've broken this down in in a past episode or not. I don't think we have. So uh, there's a book that I've referred to many times. Yes, called Co- Cocktail Codex by uh, by a couple of guys that run a run a, a bar that uh, they have a few locations in L.A., Denver, and New York. I believe it's called Death and Company. And Death this co- and Company. Death and Company. It's a great name. It I, is. I really want to go to one of these locations one of these days because from all the pictures they've seen, it looks awesome. Let's do it. And I like their cocktails. Um, we have been and, to Denver together before, so. We have very briefly, very briefly. So it's yeah, this is a great bar, as far as I know. <laughs> um, I've never actually and, been, uh, but I'm pretty right, sure it's never great. been. Um, but I love this book. Actually, there's a really interesting little, just a little quick. I'll try to make this quick, quick as possible. Little interesting side note of how I got this book. I don't believe I've ever talked about that in an episode. No, you haven't. So. This was, oh, shit. This was like August of 2019. It was right after my son was born. And they posted something up on Instagram. It was a giveaway for this book. And then they were, they were also going to be doing like a takeover at this bar in Chicago. And so um, I was like, oh, shit. So, you know, I all you, what, all you do is like tag a friend and like the post and blah, blah, blah. Well, anyways, I ended up winning. And um, so I won. I won the book. But then I also won like two tickets to to go to the bar where they were doing the takeover, and nice. I I got like drinks all night long, and it was great. Um, Free drinks? Yeah. Damn. And uh, yeah, it was pretty sweet. And uh, they like the book is signed by one of the authors and everything. It's pretty pretty cool. Um, so that's how I came across the book, and it's it's just there's tons of tons of useful information. Uh, Really educational, really interesting, good cocktails. You know, there's a lot of stuff in there that's like, okay, I don't have this. What is this? This is ridiculous. <laughs> um, <laughs> but like, I do really like the book, and it really, it really educated me to uh, ed- educated. I really educated myself to a point where I became comfortable with making my own cocktails and coming up with my own stuff. Um, nice and ha- having the confidence to do that and stuff like that because once you understand like how the different templates work for different cocktails it's like then you just and then once you kind of have an idea of like how different flavors pair together then it's just a matter of like plugging different things into the equation and you know and seeing what what the result is and that's what a lot of that's the fun of it you know yeah oh, what pairs well with mountain dew ah <laughs> uh, nothing Nothing pairs well. Doritos. Mountain Dew is just, you know, it's a Dur- just drink. Mountain, Mountain Dew, Doritos, and vodka. Oh, God. That's, oh, God. Vodka. Um, I call that the Sadness Express. <laughs> I call that Halo Days. Halo, Halo Days. Because that just UV reminds me. Bl- UV Blue, Mountain Dew, and Doritos. <laughs> that just reminds me of a bunch of, like, high school kids, like, in their basement playing Halo and... Yeah, um, and I don't mean that just in like, a bad way. Yeah, that's what we used to do. <laughs> yeah, um, and uh, we so, weren't in high school. We we were old. <laughs> this was just a few years ago, I think, um, before I got into cocktail. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, so so yeah, so this book kind of you know taught me a lot and really kind of broke down 
it broke down cocktails into um, basically like to six like basic drink categories. Um, and so you've got the old fashioned, and then you've got uh, the martini, and then you've got the daiquiri, Ooh. which we talked about the daiquiri. Um, so yeah, daiquiri is the same thing as a sour. So, yeah. Um, the way that they mention it, the way that they break it down in this book is they call it a daiquiri, but it's, it's a, same thing it's, as a it's sour. It's a mini punch. It's a mini punch. It's a mini punch. That's right. The old mini punch. And then, uh, after the daiquiri, you've got a sidecar, which is what we're going to talk about tonight. Mm. Um, and then you've got the whiskey highball. And finally, you've got the flip. Uh, the flip is something we haven't talked about yet, but we may or may not mention in a future episode. Yeah, I'm I'm a little familiar with the flip. I've I've heard it's got hot eggs in it. Is that <laughs> is that, is that accurate or it uh, it it has eggs? It, well, so the old recipe has eggs, and it is served hot. Hot eggs, but it's not hot eggs. It's not like they it's. <laughs> It's not like they heat up the eggs separately and then they're like, okay, now we're going to dump these fucking hot eggs in the drink. I'm, I'm picturing like an old fashioned with just the oh over easy God, eggs inside of it. Plopped on top. Old fashioned Benedict. <laughs> the, the Benedict old fashioned. Um, fucking poached egg instead of an ice cube. <laughs> um, so... So yeah, those are the six basic categories of cocktails. The way that this book breaks it down, um, and and really, once you kind of realize how different templates are different categories, and and it's really just a matter of like plugging in different ingredients, then it it, it becomes mm. a lot of fun, and it really it really opens you up you know, to, to the whole kind of cocktail experience. And, um, it, it really honestly took this book to kind of give me the confidence to, to start making my own kind of creations and, you know, and so, so yeah. Um, but, but tonight's episode is, is focusing on, uh, the sidecar, uh, the sidecar, one of the, one of them, like I said, one of the six basic kind of categories of cocktails um so the sidecar uh it it most likely originates from uh the early 1920s or or thereabouts um when people were all driving motorcycles with sidecars (laughs) everybody every everybody everybody got to where they were needed to go in a fucking sidecar Um, bunch of bunch of men driving (laughs) driving flappers around in sidecars (laughs) flappers flappers um, and so, yeah, there's some, there, there's a couple different stories about where this kind of came from. Um, it, it, it appears to have originated in London, but actually became, Bullshit. Po- <laughs> but became popularized in Paris. Um, and that's kind of the whole thing about cocktails is like, well, who, who you, how, how do you really credit the invention of it? Is it credited from like where it first appeared or is it more credited to who popularized it? I don't know. Right. Um, but it's funny. It's cocktails are just like any other form of art. It's like somebody makes it and the group of people it was intended for like this bullshit. (laughs) And then 
like, you know, decades later and or in another region, somebody's like, oh, my God, have you tried this thing? And then it takes off. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in in, in this case, um, <clears throat> so this is during Prohibition in the U.S., uh, 19 early good times early 1920s. <laughs> terrible times can you imagine that we do we'd have been clawing each other's eyes out oh my god oh my god um we'd <laughs> we'd have been getting you and i would have been getting arrested at speakeasies oh, for sure shit. can you like, imagine now i kind of want to go back. Uh, i want to go back to that time period I'd have, I'd have been that I'd have been that weird middle aged guy that's like at the grocery store like um uh, I I was told that um I should say uh, 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 uh bees knees and then and then like you know I'd be scared that I'd get arrested but like a magical back door would open up and there'd be alcohol back there. <laughs> oh. I want to, I kind of want to go back now. I want to go through prohibition with you. <laughs> um, I want to go through prohibition with you, baby. <laughs> I would go through prohibition with you, baby. That's how I that's how I landed my wife. Yep. I, I was just like I didn't say I love you. I just like looked her dead in the eyes and was just like I want to go through pro- prohibition with you, baby. <laughs> she did she was con- she was just as confused as our listeners are right now. <laughs> um. So yeah. So this, this is during you know r- roughly during Prohibition or like the end of World War One. Um. And so this uh, Scottish Scottish bartender, uh, named Harry McElhone. Um. Yep. <laughs> yep. Ver- I. I- <laughs> I'm I'm checking with 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 our producer Phil right now, and that is definitely a Scottish name. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he he kind of ended up taking over this this bar in Paris, which was called the New York Bar, which had been opened by some some believe it or not some like famous jockey at the time. Um, and he ended up getting into some financial problems and ended up selling. Now I just want to be a fucking famous jockey (laughs) during prohibition, Prohibition. living in Paris, but it didn't end so well for him. He ran into some financial problems and he had to, he had to sell the bar to his, his head bartender, which is Mr. Harry McElhone. And do you think, do you think, do you think they came looking for rent and he came up a little short? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh that's good that's good that is rich um, we'll cut that out <laughs> and so he ended up he ended up because of his, his financial problems he ended up selling the bar to his his head bartender which is harry and harry ended up changing the name of the place to harry's new york bar which is still around today uh and what? yeah and uh, is he, Harry isn't is Harry still dead. is Harry still alive? <laughs> no, no, Harry's been in the fucking ground for about about seventy years now or so. But um, old, but, old Harry McElrond. <laughs> but he, uh, but his family has kind of carried on the the, the bar, and uh, so it's still there. But um, so he ended up. So he wrote a couple. He wrote a couple books um, called. Uh, well, he wrote. One particular, one book in particular called ABC of Cocktails, which um, oh. the first couple early editions of that, which were like in 1919 and I think 1920 or something, um, 
in those in those editions, he credited a Pat McGarry of London's uh, Buck Club bar as he, he credited this guy as the inventor of the cocktail. But then in later editions of his book, he credits himself. <laughs> so, I mean, that's kind of like a dead giveaway there that like he probably did not create this cocktail. He kind of like went back on that and was like, no, you know what? Fuck it. I, I created this cocktail. Even though it's written down that this other and he wrote it down himself that this other guy did it. Oh, Harry. Oh, Harry, you fucking asshole. Um you wildly turd. So regardless of if it was Harry or if it was Pat, um, and if it was invented in Paris or London, uh, the story goes that it was named after an American army captain who frequented, frequented the bar and was driven to and from the establishment in a in the sidecar of a motorcycle and that and that's kind of how that <laughs> oh my god <laughs> that's that's where the story came from and and that's how it got its name and um but yeah like so i mean like a lot of cocktails we've talked about and and future cocktails that we will talk about uh where the recipe originates from and and where it is today i mean a lot of times the recipe evolves over the years. Um, yeah. And um, so the, the main thing about the, the main thing that has evolved about this particular cocktail, the sidecar is uh, the, so the basic, it's a three ingredient cocktail. Um, and so the three ingredients remain the same, but there is disagreement over the ratios um, oh, so there's spicy. <laughs> give me them spicy deets. Um, <laughs> so there's like the French school. They call it the French school of, of of thought on it, and that calls for equal parts. And so, the, so the three ingredients in a sidecar are: you've got cognac, you've got an orange liqueur, and then you've got lemon juice. Um, so does it have to be cognac, or can it be brandy? Uh, well, so, um, so brandy, so brandy and cognac are the same thing. Um, it's right. so cognac is to brandy what bourbon is to whiskey. It's a re, it's a regional right. thing. Champagne uh, is to sparkling. Right, exactly. Wine. Yeah, it's a it's a regional thing. So it's really the same. It's just the region that it's produced in. Um, it's a grape. It's a grape based spirit. Um, I mean, I wouldn't make an old fashioned without brandy, without <laughs> bourbon. But an old fashioned doesn't have to be bourbon. It doesn't have to be. No, an old fashioned can be many, many different things. Um, it uh, it doesn't even an old fashioned doesn't even necessarily need to be a, what you would consider a typical base spirit. It's just. You know, it's it's all about the kind of like, like we just Harry, give me the Campari old fashioned. <laughs> I mean, that would taste terrible, but um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's you know, you could. I think there's like you know, there are like uh, there are cocktails that are like. Um, I mean, there's I'm sure there's one in in this book here that I'm I've been talking about. Um, 
Are you fondling it? Actually, you yeah. holding the book Perf- right now. I just happen to have the book next to me, and I, I massaging I, the I, book. <laughs> I just happen to have that Death and Company book open next to me, and I in the first chapter is on old fashions, and right there they've got a, a, a cocktail. Uh, class, it's actually a classic cocktail called a chrysanthemum, and mm. it is two and a half. It's a two and a half ounces of dry vermouth. With a half an ounce of Benedictine, which is a liqueur, and then a, a little bit of absinthe, and that's that would be considered an old fashioned because it's the same template, kind of. It's the same ratio, but it's using dry vermouth as the base spirit in this case. So, yeah, crazy bastards. Yeah, so you can do all kinds of stuff. You know, I mean that, that it's still it's all about the template and the balance and stuff like that. But, um, so. The French school of thought on the sidecar is equal parts, but the English school of thought is more is is more in line is actually in line with what we uh, of of the template for like a daiquiri or a sour. So it's two to one to one, two ounces of a base spirit, an ounce of your sugar component, and an ounce of citrus juice. Um, and and so. When you look, when you do, you look at it that way. So in, in, in this case, a sidecar is really just a daiquiri or a sour where you've right. swapped out syrup for a liqueur. And that's it. That's really, the, that's really the main difference between what you would consider a sidecar and what you would consider a sour or a daiquiri. Interesting. Um. Interesting. I've thought about that a couple times because there are times where I'm like, oh, I don't have syrup made. Right. But I have liqueurs. Right. And most liqueurs have sugar added to them. Right. That's kind of partly what makes them a liqueur. Um, there you go. But another way you can look at the sidecar. So you can look at the sidecar as evolving from the daiquiri. Um, where it's really just a sour made with it's a it's a daiquiri made with cognac instead of rum and then a orange liqueur instead of a syrup. Um, but you can also look at the sidecar as being a simplified uh, kind of uh, a descendant of a the famous brandy crusta, which actually right. <laughs> One of those. <laughs> so, actually, the brand- I like croutons. <laughs> croutons. So, actually, the the brandy crista, I believe that's how you're saying it, how you're supposed to say that, was created in the 1850s. It's this is actually another New Orleans drink. So we've talked about the Sazerac and Nolans. Nolans. So we've talked about the Sazerac. <laughs> we've talked about the old Sazerac in a past episode. Actually, this so Sazzy the, Daddies. The the. Brandy Krista actually predates the Sazerac, um, and we talked about Jesus. The, we talked about the Sazerac being one of the oldest American cocktails, and and the the Brandy Krista actually predates that. So it was like it was like in the eighteen eighteen fifties New Orleans, um, and uh, so the 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 Brandy Krista contains um, cognac, orange liqueur, maraschino liqueur, which is a cherry liqueur lemon juice, simple syrup, Angostura bitters, and then they do a a crust of sugar on the rim of the glass, hence the cocktail's name. 
Um, Damn. So that's the Brandy Krista. I've actually never made one. Um, but it's when you look at that, it is very similar to to the sidecar here. Um, and the sidecar is often considered to be a more challenging cocktail for, for bartenders to make. Um, more challenging than, say, the daiquiri. And that's because um, liqueurs have uh, varying alcoholic contents and varying levels of sweetness to them. So when you're making a cocktail, it's all about kind of having that balance, creating a, a, a sense mm. of balance to it. So you really have to be educated and have to know what different liqueurs are bringing are going to bring to the cocktail in terms of their alcoholic content, in terms of their sweet their level of sweetness. Um, so it does make it a little bit more of a like a, a challenging cocktail to make. If, you know, if you're using different liqueurs. Um, are you educated? Uh, no. <laughs> no. No. And, you know, like, I mean, I am and I, I am and I'm not, you know, like, I'm not like one of those people who are like, I can really, mm, and they, they like, and really like taste it mm, <laughs> and like, mm, okay. and they even talk about like, <laughs> they even talk about like, um, in this book, they talk about like how you, how certain uh, citrus, particularly grapefruit, um, can the, so like the the acidity the 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 acidity level can can vary greatly from like grapefruit to grapefruit um right and so like like you really you almost have to like t- taste test like the the, the juice bef- like to know how, what proportions to use i don't do all that kind of shit that's ridiculous and i don't know that i would pick up on any kind of real differences or changes you know what i mean um (laughs) shame 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 i know but and you got a free book from death and company (laughs) um so speaking of death and company you know they they're what they consider their kind of ideal uh sidecar is an ounce and a half of a, a particular cognac um an ounce of dry curacao, which is a uh, uh, an orange liqueur, uh, three quarter ounces of lemon juice, and then a, they add a teaspoon of simple syrup because the the dry curacao is a naturally, obviously, it's a drier liqueur. It's not as sweet, mm. so they do add a little right. bit of uh, additional syrup there to kind of balance it out. That's that's their kind of uh, ideal sidecar. What I ended up making actually. Uh, is a is a riff. It's actually a riff on a riff. Um, Riffity riff. Sweet baby riffs. Um, sweet baby riff. So my cocktail is a riff on a cocktail called Between the Sheets, which is really just a sidecar, but where you split the the base spirit between cognac and rum. Uh, mm. And so my version is i'm call i call my version drinking with john um nice which we'll talk as we go into the get into the music portion of the of the episode you'll understand kind of where that comes from um no you won't but my so mine is an ounce of cognac an ounce of an like a more of a balanced aged jamaican rum uh and then for and for the three quarter ounces of what would be normally be the orange liqueur um, for the sidecar recipe, I, I did a half ounce of um, something called cre- a Creole shrub, 
which is just an orange liqueur, mm. but it's made with a, a rum base and it has like Creole spices in it. It's not like super spicy, but it does add additional flavor. Got that gumbo flavor. <laughs> a little gumbo action. Um, <laughs> and so I did, instead of doing three quarter ounces of, of the orange liqueur, I did a half ounce, but then I did a quarter ounce of coconut liqueur and then kept the three quarter ounces of lemon juice. And then I added an additional teaspoon of a pineapple syrup and you shake that all together with ice and double strain it into a stemmed glass and you can express an an orange peel over it. Um, it it actually, it turned out pretty good. I liked it. It's uh, it, it was it turned out pretty balanced and you know, the flavors are subtle, like the coconut, pineapple and, and orange kind of like come together nicely. It was, it was pretty good. I, I enjoyed it. Um, so that's it for the, that's it for the sip portion. Uh, and, and now we are going to mercifully move on to the, the, uh, the spin portion here. Of, uh, spin it. Uh, let's, let's spin this bitch. Spin this bitch up. <laughs> um. So, Andy, what are you drinking? That's me. Before we, before we spin, what are you drinking right now? I, uh, I, I'm drinking a lion's tail. Mm. It's uh, one of my favorite, one of my favorite cocktails. It's uh, it's basically just uh, two ounces of bourbon, half ounce of. Uh, uh, allspice dram, half ounce of um, lime juice, a little bit of simple syrup, some Angostura bitters, and uh, shake that bitch up. That's mm, a good one. That's a, <clears throat> it is. It is. It's really good. That's actually one of the. I recall that being one of the earlier uh, kind of cocktails that I made. Like when I first started doing cocktails, it was like. Well, I'm gonna make an old fashioned, and you know, I didn't, yeah. I didn't know what the fuck I was doing, and and then when I kind of started to like try to educate myself a little bit more, uh, a lion's tail was was one that I, I came across, and I discovered allspice dram, and I fucking love allspice dram, and I can't believe I haven't oh, done a so cocktail good. yet with allspice dram. So good, um, so good. But I use it all the time, and yeah, lion's tail is is fantastic. Um, that's a good one. So that ASD, what was that? I said that ASD though. That ASD. What is that? All oh, Dram, baby. Dram. Um So we're talking about a band called The Lounge Lizards. The Lounge Lizards. <laughs> Let's get into the fucking music here already. <laughs> I know, right? We are talking about a band called The Lounge Lizards. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Who, I don't know what you would characterize them as. I, Fucking, I would say jazz. Yeah, I would say like jazz fusion. Yeah, they're not like they're not straight up jazz. Um, no. And I mean they they had what was it three albums? So this um, is their. So we're talking about Voice of Chunk, which came out in 1988. Yeah. Um. So this this was this, their third this was album. Their third album, yep. And then they had one ten years later, yeah. Queen of All Ears, in nineteen ninety eight. Yeah, and then that was it. Um, and then after that, they just called it a fucking yep. day. 
Um, and and so, I guess as far as the band goes, um, they're they're interesting. So they were they were formed by two brothers named John Lurie and Evan Lurie, mm-hmm. and um, from New York. And the band, as you would expect for a jazz band, um, is kind of kind of rotating. You know, they they've got a lot of members that kind of come and go over the course of yeah. I think you know their their twenty year career. Right. I think the I think uh, I think John and Evan were the only real constant members throughout that twenty year span. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and so, um, yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot of coming and going with the band, but really, like you said, John and Evan are the two main, the two main guys that kind of, uh, were there through the whole thing. And and I think really when it comes down to it, you know, what we're going to, we're going to talk about a lot in this episode, who who we're going to talk about, talk about a lot is John. Right. This guy's a, I mean... I, I don't know any other way to say it other than this guy's a fucking he's a nut. <laughs> he's an absolute nut. And like in a good way. Not not like I'm a, not like he scares me like he's <laughs> he concerns I mean me. he scares me. He does concern me a little bit, but but he's also um yeah, he's also just a super interesting interesting guy. I know, I know you've uh, you delved a little f- a little deeper into into uh, this guy's other kind of uh, uh, side projects and stuff over the years. Um, yeah, and and we'll get to that later. But um, yeah, he he's uh, he's for all intents and purposes, he seems to he appears to be kind of like the the. Uh, kind of the lead man here of, of the group. Um, oh yeah. I don't know if he was the one that, that composed a lot of the compositions or how that worked. Do you know? Um, I, yeah, he, he, him, him and Evan did they, a lot they of did, They were primarily, yeah. Um, so yeah. yeah so John plays, uh, the sax. Saxophone. <laughs> Saxophone. So he played, and if you've listened to any of our episodes so far, and if you plan on listening to any of them in the future, you will find that we we love the sax. We like a good sax. I mean, for me, part of that is because my sister played the saxophone. Oh, is it okay? So growing, yeah, growing up, like she was in band, so like you know, she's nine years older than me. So you know, when I was five, six, seven years old, she'd be playing the saxophone, practicing at the house. You know, yeah. So it was something that I heard and saw a lot of. Right. So it's very, it's, it's very, it's, I gravitate toward it when I hear it, you know, in, uh, in, um, popular music and things like that. Yeah. I have no, I have no specific reason for why I, I enjoy it so much. Why, why it speaks to me. Um, uh, it's a great sound. Yeah. And there's, and I was actually doing a little, actually, I was doing a little research on, uh, the different sax sax I almost call the saxophones. Um, <laughs> I was doing I was doing some research on the different types of saxophones. Uh, actually, yeah. for for uh, 
for another episode, a future episode that we're going to be doing. And, um, and so you've got the, so you've got the soprano, right? Mm-hmm. That's that, the that, one that's, that's kind that's of highest, a straight looking, right? Mm-hmm. That's a, yes. Yeah, well, there's, there's a sopranino as oh, well, right. which Sapranino. is a higher. Yeah. yeah. But then, but that's pretty rare. I don't think a lot of people play that. No, um, not very often. So yeah, you've got, so. It's just like a little soprano sax really is all it is. Right. And. And so John plays alto and soprano on this on this particular album. Um, yeah. And then there's also a, a, another guy here, uh, Roy Nathanson, on this particular album that plays alto and tenor saxophone. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got. And I I, be, I believe that's what my sister played was tenor, tenor. sax. So yeah. that's that's getting a little bit deeper. Mm-hmm. That's more of a Just deeper a sound, right? And then. Um, right. And then after is it after t- so is it. It's sopranino, and then soprano, and then alto, yeah. and then tenor, and then baritone. Yeah, yeah. I think is so. Is that right? Okay. And so it goes from highest to kind of lowest sound. Yeah. Um, and I forgot what the fuck I was even talking about. <laughs> <laughs> um, but saxophone will do that. Too. Just get it. Yeah, get off on a little little sax trip um little sax tangent <laughs> but um yeah where i don't even really where how did we get off on that there was we were going somewhere with this that's that's what that's what john and that's what john plays on the album right that's right that's his instrument right um but i thought we were we were discussing other things and, and how we got into that and that was going to go somewhere. But, uh, and, and so his brother, Evan, anyways, regardless, his brother, Evan is actually, he's, so he's the pianist. Um, he plays, right. he plays piano on this album and I think in all their albums, I guess. Um, so, I mean, I don't know how much, how much you did. I know, I know we were talking a little bit about John and before we get too deep into, to, you know, John himself, um, you know, I thought it was kind of interesting how how they kind of formed and when they formed, um, because it was at a it was at a a, a very particular uh point in history where there was kind of um a, a short lived uh kind of uh, movement that was going on, um, so th- so they kind of began the group kind of began as somewhat of a like a uh, uh, satirical kind of tongue-in-cheek almost like late yeah. almost labeled like fake fake jazz combo um right. that kind of uh came came out of like a, a short-lived avant-garde music scene referred to as no wave um that emerged in the late 70s in new york city i, I don't know if you read too much about this not really no okay so school me baby school me school me so no wave was kind of like the yeah it was like like i said it was it was late 70s which this their their first album came out in 1978 and um so no wave was kind of like it was like a rebellion against the recycling of rock and roll cliches um that were prevalent at the time and um, and the whole no wave kind of music scene focused more on um, 
non-conventional structure and sounds and mm. uh, disson- yeah. dissonance and atonality and um, kind of a kind of had uh, it had a, a, a bit of a um, uh, like a nihilistic um, kind of yeah. outlook to it. Um, yeah, and and kind of had you know consisted of abrasive abrasive kind of sounds and repetitive driving rhythms and 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 an emphasis and here's the key i think too is like it had there was an emphasis on texture over melody right um and absolutely and so you know you can see definitely they where they they fall in line with that particularly particularly with their earlier albums um you, you do get a little bit of that with with uh, Voice of Chunk, but yeah. um, but if you listen to their earlier stuff, particularly like their first album, um, it is very like it's not my kind of music. <laughs> you know, I, I, to be right. to be honest, like I'm not a big fan of that kind of like uh, discordant, dissonant kind of atonal. Yeah, I, yeah. I I, I, I need my melody. I need some kind of need it. Give it to me. Structure or something. You know what I mean? To I can't just have yeah. you know. Like I, I gotta have. I gotta. Or even just like bang, <laughs> bang. I gotta have something to fucking bang. latch onto and 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 and, fo- yeah. and follow. So um, yeah. So you do get it. You you do hear. Um, you do hear some tracks on this album that have that kind of sound to them, but for the most part. There, there is more melody. There's more structure, um, and it's it's certainly like most of the tracks on this album are, pl- I would say, pleasant to listen to. Um, yeah, they definitely to me like this album. They definitely found like they went from being the rebellious, just ridiculousness to like having their own, like having a true sound. You know what I mean? Like, I nothing on Voice of Chunk is is something that I can attribute to anyone else. You know, it's not jazz. It's not. It's not. You know, eighties rock. It's not. It's not anything. It's it. It's its own thing, which is really interesting. Um, but yeah, it's definitely. You know, the closest thing you can probably describe it as is jazz. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Voice of Chunk, especially like. I could absolutely see, like, I listen to Voice of Chunk and I'm like, I get Talking Heads vibes. I get um, and you're talking King about, Crimson a little bit. You're talking about the actual track, Voice of Chunk. I'm talking about the album Oh, you're talking itself. about the whole album. Okay. Yeah. I get I get a little bit, you know, Talking Heads a little bit. I get, like, King Crimson uh, a little bit, uh, which mostly King Crimson is like, um, King Crimson dealt with a lot of, uh, if you're not familiar with King Crimson, they're a progressive rock band from the 1970s. Um, and they're worth listening to for sure. Uh, but they did a lot of, um, they did a lot of, uh, weird time signatures, uh, for, di- for different instruments. So one guitar would play in like one time signature and another guitar would play in a different time signature. And then, um, if you know anything about time signatures, uh, you know, you know, let's say one guitar is going one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, and another guitar is going one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. Well, over the course of however many measures in a song, those different time signatures sync up at different points. Mm. So one, you know, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. 
Um, you know, you're going to hear that over and over. And then one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, you're going to hear that over and over. But at some points, the threes are going to align and then they're going to go back out of sync and you're going to hit a three and a four and a three and a two and so on and so forth. But then they're going to line back up again and you're going to get a three and a three. Um, to me, that's like, that's like a, a signature sound of, of this type of music. Uh, number one jazz a little bit, but also progressive music is kind of these, that sort of thing. And, and, and there's a lot of that in this album where it's like, they play songs where it's like, you know, the drums are on one time signature, the, um, the bass and the the guitar are on a different time signature. And at some point they're matching up and you're like, Oh man, I like almost got a piece of like a real song. And then they <laughs> go out of sync again and you're just like, Oh shit. And it kind of all falls apart in your hands. Right. And, um, it's and it's really interesting. It's not quite jazz because jazz like jazz kind of just throws everything at the wall and you know does what it does. And sometimes jazz like coalesces into something beautiful and right. then it kind of falls apart. You know, in distance. And and this kind of doesn't really do that. It kind of just meets up a little bit, meets back out, yeah. and goes back and forth. And it's 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 interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, it, it was something that. Uh, so, you know, the first actually. So the first thing you sent me, the first thing that you sent me was uh, was just like some video of like <laughs> from oh like the, from like the late eighties or early nineties or something. Oh, I love that video. Where it was, it was the band uh, on some talk show. I don't even know what talk show it was. Did you watch the beginning of that video? It was really long. Like I don't even know what. They, oh, I, I it don't was recall. Hilarious. I don't recall the specifics. I know it's just like whoever the talk show host guy was or whatever. He was like I don't know who the talk show host was either. It um, could have been some it was definitely British like a, show or something. Who knows? Yeah, it was some British show, and and that's really that was my first introduction to John Lurie. Um, was watching that and. He, you know, he, to me, the closest ana- analogy I can give to the, to his, to his interview with that guy on that video was like, was like Frank Zappa. Um, Frank Zappa was always, always struck me as the type of guy. And I, I watched some interviews with him where it was like, Frank Zappa was basically just like all about the art. Like, don't ask them to, to categorize what they're doing. Don't ask them like what kind of music they're playing. Don't ask them like, you know, don't ask about, him, don't ask him know, anything. <laughs> Just don't like ask let, him anything. let him play don't, the music and, yeah. you know. Yeah, exactly. Don't ask him about like, you know, their marketing plan. Like don't right, ask him all right. this bullshit stuff. Like he's literally there for the music and, and he's not going to categorize it no matter what you want. And, and that's exactly the vibe in this, 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 this clip of, of them playing voice to chunk live on this, uh, this British talk show. Like this guy comes out and the host is like trying to ask John Lurie all these questions. And John Lurie's just like, like, he's like, you, so do you classify yourself as jazz fusion? And John Lurie's just like, I, I don't know, man, we, we just make music. I, I don't know what to, to tell yeah. you. And he's like clearly like as soon as it starts, he's super annoyed with this guy, and it's it. I just find it hilarious, yeah. like how frustrated he is. You can tell, yeah. I just I do recall like he's like kind of very soft spoken, and he's just kind of like yeah, it, like he's he's saying like as little as he possibly can, <laughs> you know, yes. like um, yes. which is kind of funny. And um, but yeah, you find I mean, you do find like there's a lot of people. A lot of people that are musically talented 
that aren't like these like big they're not a big showman you know like they're not gonna uh put on a big act and and and, you know talk your ear off and stuff like that they're yep they're you know more they're gonna be more uh introverted and introspective and and you know they just they're about the music you know and, and that's kind of and yeah, it, uh, I'm, I'm trying to remember. I'm trying to think of somebody else, like another musician that he kind of reminds me of in terms of like his kind of demeanor. Um, but I can't, I yeah. can't think of it. Exactly. Frank Zappa was who came to mind for me. It was like immediate. It was like Frank Zappa was the guy that was like. And I'll tell you, I don't know, I don't know Dick about Frank Zappa. I will say that right now. Um, I know you're a fan. You don't know shit about Dick. I don't know. <laughs> or Dick about shit. I don't. However, yeah, you want to phrase it. Um, yeah, Frank Zappa, every interview I've seen of Frank Zappa is just like that, where he's just like, it, it's that, it's that exact demeanor yeah. where he's like, I don't know. Why are you asking me to define what we're doing? Like, yeah. We're just making music. Yeah. Seriously. And I, I, and I can, I get that. Like I, I get it from, I get it from yeah. both sides. I get it from the musician's perspective where it's like, look, I just, this is what I'm doing. I don't care about how right. it's categorized or what you want to label right. it. I'm just. This is what I'm doing. This right. is what I'm choosing. This is what I've, I've I've chosen to do, and this is how I want to do it, and this is what it is. And and then it, you can see it from well, you know, like the interviewer or whatever's perspective. Because we're on that side now. Yes, and it's like, yeah, like you get it. <laughs> you understand. Like you do want to know more. You want to. You kind of want to pick the brain and 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 right. find out more. And 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 that's what you're that's that's their job you know i mean so i mean comparing comparing john lurie to frank zappa isn't really fair <laughs> it's not really fair for us to do but we have to give people something yeah you got to give them some kind of reference we have to give them a yeah we have to give them a frame of reference right. or a context for for so it's it's kind of it's exactly the thing like i sympathize with both of right. them it's like i get you don't want to explain yourself you just want to make your music but at the same time like you have people are curious as to what your thought process is and what you're right why you're making music the way you're making it and and who you sound like and what they're you know and 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 how they can you know maybe be interested why they should be interested in your music yeah yeah exactly so yeah um you know movie i mean i'm not sure if you're ready to move on here through uh because i know you've got some more You've got some more tidbits here on, on Mr. John Lurie. Tidbits. Uh, um, so, you know, we talked about, so so this particular album, Voice of Chunk, came out in 1988. Mm-hmm. Although it really, it, yep. it, it, I mean, it was it was uh, recorded around that time. But it, from yeah. what I read, it didn't actually get a real release until like much later, right? Right. It was a, it, it was a weird, it was, it's interesting, like, and, and we're going to talk about, um, we'll talk about in a few episodes, I think we're going to, we're planning on talking about an, uh, an album called Sweet 17 Singles by uh, a Chicago band called Twin Peaks. Mm-hmm. And it reminds me a lot of that. They, um, Voice of Chunk was actually a mail order. So they had to actually, you know, you actually had to like send away for it. Mail you had, you order. You had to know the band. Yeah, you had to know the band, and you had to to know that they had an album, and you had to like send away and ask for it. Oh, and uh, yeah. Sweet Seventeen Singles is was a was a subscription. That's... You know, it was a you had to kind of you had to know that you know you have to know Twin Peaks, and you have right. to know that they're releasing singles, and you have to subscribe to it. And 
this is a similar situation. So, so that's how kind of how Voice Chunk started. Was it was a mail order, and um, after a while, after it was a little bit successful, they uh, they actually did a full release, and you could just you know go pick it up at the store or whatever. But you know, it was sometime later. Yeah. Um. Um. Yeah, that's interesting. So, so that was in 1988, and then they didn't do like yep. like you mentioned. They didn't do another album for another ten years. Uh, yeah, 1998, and, and 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 in the interim, uh, you had you, John Lurie was kind of busy doing other things. Um, yeah, he, uh, I, strangely enough, him. Uh, so John Lurie and and uh, pretty famous film composer Howard Shore, which I think we'll yep. probably at some point do a soundtrack that that he. I don't know how we could. Yeah, uh, Howard Shore is great. Um, Done a lot of cool stuff. He did. He do. I was gonna say, did he do Lord of the Rings? He did. He did the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Um, yep. He did another personal favorite of mine. Uh, bum, uh, he, bum, he did the score. He did the score for the the Fly, the night the nineteen eighties David Cronenberg Fly. Another, another good one. Uh, yeah. Great, oh boy. Great movie. Great score. Um, really good. Really good score there. Um, David Cronenberg is. Uh, is a John uh, well I'm going to start using this. He's a John Lurie type. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like tall, tall kind of skinny like kind a of weird, like yeah, weird. like a tall skinny like rec- weird kind of monotone recluse. kind of monotone yeah. way of talking. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I agree. Um David Cronenberg, yeah, he's a he's a John Lurie type. A hipster doofus. <laughs> hipster doofus. <laughs> in in the ve- in the vein of Cosmo Cosmo Cray. <laughs> Cosmo Kramer, <laughs> um, and so yeah. so uh, so yeah, John Lurie and and film composer Howard Shore actually composed the the theme song for uh, Late Night with Conan O'Brien in nineteen ninety three, yep. which I thought was kind of funny. One of the one of the most one of the most played uh, theme songs in the history of television. <laughs> it's like there's like two thousand. It's like twenty five hundred episodes of Conan or something Jesus. that this has been played on. It's just ridiculous. God, is Conan still doing shit? He's still on the air, isn't he? Uh, I think they're down to a half hour. The half hour episodes now yeah, or something. Fuck, I don't even, I don't even know. know. Yeah, I don't know, and I don't know if they took the theme song to TBS, hmm. but yeah. Um, but ne- but the the lounge lizards have been on Conan. So that's 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 another funny thing is so so John Lurie and the Lounge Lizards are on this British talk show and John Lurie's having none of it like <laughs> fucking none of it like I said and um at the same time you know just a few handful of years later he's on Conan and he's like you know he's just he's just all shits and grins he's with fucking Conan, laughing you know? it up I'm just having like, a good old time. <laughs> Palin or having a good old time with with fucking old Ginger Magoo there. Ginger Magoo. And, uh, I'm gonna have, I'm gonna so have to take Conan O'Brien. That, I, this thought, I found that to be a funny, a funny dynamic. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. is funny. Um, uh, so yeah, speaking of going going along that line there of uh, film composers, actually, so so John Larry himself. That's another thing uh, he's done. He's, he's actually scored uh, quite a few films. Yeah, uh, a lot of a lot of them. Uh, uh, actually, I, I would say a lot of them. So two of the two of the films that he's he scored um, are directed by Jim Jarmusch. Uh, yep. Who we'll talk about 
probably next <laughs> he he JJ. he has a little bit of he has he he's collaborated with him on on multiple occasions um he actually acted in a couple of these movies too he did um, yeah uh stranger than paradise and down by law um and in stranger in paradise uh, he he played a sex phone player <laughs> did he nice so that was a that was a that was a stretch for him uh, yeah, so I mean, so he scored scored these movies by Jim Jarmusch, and then uh, he actually he, probably his biggest claim to fame was that he did the score for uh, Barry Sonnenfeld's uh, Get Shorty, for which uh, he actually got a Grammy nomination for. Um, and I know this is kind of where you're going to want to jump in here because another yet another strange detour in his career. Uh, was for a 1991 TV series that <laughs> that he wrote, directed, and starred in, called <laughs> called Fishing with John, which featured yes. him and celebrity guests going fishing in different parts of the world. Oh my god! Yes. Yeah. So this is if you, if you if you know anything about John Lurie, this this is probably where it comes from. Is is this show Fishing with John? So it was. I don't know if it originally aired on IFC or if it was it was um, if it was uh, reruns on IFC that kind of popularized it. But it's like a super cult hit now. Is this show Fishing with John? And I I originally thought that like when I heard about it, I was like, okay, is this you know? It's just kind of just this goofy show but it's like the best the best way i can describe it i read it in a uh in in a review and i god i wish i could cite the source but i'm i'm losing it um the best way i can describe it is it's like a it's like a beer spilled it's like a beer knocked over and spilled on carpet it's like it just it just fucking is just it just like kind of it just like shoots out and kind of like fizzles on the carpet but it just slowly just kind of fizzles out and dissolves and like there's no it's a spoof of like other outdoor shows and there's like this weird there's there's various weird frantic things that happen in the course of the show um and there's just <laughs> weird asides but it's well, it never ever really you. goes anywhere and then many, and you're, there's you're, a lot of episodes where they didn't even catch a fucking fish. They just, they just sit there. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so the first episode has Jim Jarmusch in it, and and um, and it's like you know five minutes into this episode, you know he he goes and picks up Jim Jarmusch and they're they're doing this stuff and they stay at a hotel like out at the pier and they're getting ready to like go out early in the morning and do this fishing and right. and uh, and and it's like he goes and knocks on Jim's door and they wake up and <laughs> it cuts to this thing and there's a, the classic outdoor narrator and it's like it's like. <laughs> it's like uh, it's like the fishermen awake, prepared to so to uh, take on the day. They are covered in sores and boners. I, you, <laughs> so like, you sent me that one, right in the middle. Like, just, it's just, just it's just like, like out just of nowhere. Send it's like, and you're like, just wait for it. It's like dropped a hard and boner. You're like, wait, on you wait a minute. And you're like what's and happening? Like, okay. And I'm like, wait, what the fuck is this? Like, yeah. Did, like, is it supposed to be funny, or is there an, or does, or does boner have another meaning that I'm not familiar with? Like, I'm like, it's because it's it's done so like dry, and exactly. like, 
so seriously and i'm like what what was that like a joke was yep. it supposed to be funny or is there another am i missing something like what the fuck it's all so dry <sighs> yeah <laughs> and it's just it's just like that through the whole thing and they just randomly and then it's play like it over, they're on the they? boat and there's this clip they took of jim jarmusch where he's just like why am i here they just cut to it. And it's just like, it just keeps. <laughs> they just cut to it's a like shot. Every, and it's like, his lips yeah, aren't even like, moving. It's in the just like shot, every like five the, minutes, they'll just the cut to a shot of him. And like, why am I even here? Oh my and God. Just, <laughs> so ridiculous. I didn't watch the whole thing, but. No. Yep. Over. It's like, it's like six or 10 times in the episode. It's like, why am I here? <laughs> it's, and it's all just. It's just it's hilarious, and and uh, John Lurie does the music for it, so it's just like all these crazy, like the music will be just all over the place. Sometimes it'll just be like this pleasant, like outdoor music, and sometimes it'll be like this weird, frantic stuff. And oh my god, it's just it's it's so bizarre, and it's it it absolutely is one of those things where you're like, okay, right. I can see why this is a cult right. hit because it's right. just so yeah, it's, another, it hits on these weird notes that on, like on the show would take years uh, for people to like fully Defoe, appreciate, and I, they have. Love, it like, has Green Goblin. I I mean I wouldn't. I I wouldn't if you're talking about Willem Dafoe and you're talking about Green his, Goblin, his extensive career of fantastic roles. I wouldn't say Green Goblin is up there. <laughs> um, I <laughs> right. The other stuff. Green Goblin. Um, That's the I first love one. Willem Dafoe. I think he's... Number one, Green he's Goblin. He's a great actor. He Number just two, seems like a funny dude. The other stuff. Uh, he's just... I don't know. There's something about him. He's just, he's great. Um, he's a sweet boy. And um, and so there's an episode... Actually, it was the first episode, I think, that you sent me. You were like, check this shit out. And I'm like, what is he's this? He's a sweet boy. And, and it was the episode with Willem Dafoe. And I'm like... I'm like, holy shit! It's it's this jazz guy that you had that you had just kind of told me about at that point. You're and then you're like, it's Willem Dafoe, it's it's jazz guy, and then and they're fishing, and I'm like, holy shit! Like this is just like everything coming together because I I'm, I like I like to fish. I've I've been fishing for a majority of my life, and and I love Willem Dafoe, and I like I love jazz, and so I was like, oh my god, all. <laughs> Yeah, you don't like it. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You don't like jazz, you don't like fishing, you don't like Willem Dafoe, but anyways, here I they said, all are. I think I said, you don't you um, don't like any of these things, and, but you might want to so, check out this video. Uh, you sent me that episode, and holy shit, I didn't even, I didn't watch the whole thing, but like, I watched enough, <laughs> and oh my god, it's, it is hilarious. Like, they so they're ice fishing, and I think it's in like Minnesota or something, and, um, and they... <laughs> And it, again, it's, you got that kind of like super serious kind of narrator, and and like it shows them like building like a fucking yeah. like house on the <laughs> like a little shanty house on the fucking lake, and um, and 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 then so they get it all built, and 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 then they're going to bed, they're going to bed for the night, and they're yeah. like laying in sleeping bags next to each other, or whatever, and um, oh my god, they just I can't remember how how it, it gets brought up they start talking and um he's like oh it's a little a little cold in here or something and he's like you know we might have to we might have to you know and this is willem dafoe talking he's like you know we might have to you know and john larry's like what and he's like you know 
getting like kind of like hinting at get them having to get in the same sleeping bag for like body warmth and and john larry's just kind of like kind of brushes him off kind of laughs him off and 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 then willem defoe is like <laughs> i get it's like i get a little <laughs> he goes i get a little sweet around bedtime <laughs> and, oh holy shit i was just cracking up with that because just like the way you know, like, fucking Willem Dafoe has that, like, <laughs> yeah, he has that fucking creepy-ass Cheshire grin, like, yeah, and that kind of, like, high nasally voice, and holy shit. Creepy-ass so Willem good, Dafoe. I, I was, like, cracking up at that. I was like, I love this. I get a little sweet oh, around man. bedtime. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, it was, like, oh, what, six hilarious. episodes or something? So that was only on for a season. Yeah, it wasn't. It was not yeah, many. something like that. And um, and and then so that was what did we say ninety one? And and then um, <laughs> and then they released their final album in ninety eight, and and not long after yeah. that, you know, somewhere in this this Weird. huge amount of time. Um, John Lurie actually, he got Lyme disease. And not just Lyme disease, like it was like, it was like, it, apparently so, like he, uh, yeah, and he so, went to several and it, and it pretty much like he, he, he like started noticing stuff in music. like the early to mid nineties, um, health, health issues. Yeah. You know, and it's funny because I remember in the '90s, I remember like Lyme to be Lyme disease being one of those things where it's like, it was one of those things like where it was like, like kind of a joke, but it was kind of like like in the Santa Claus. You, know, you got like, weird symptoms, and, they, and the doctors can't figure it out. It's probably Lyme disease. Har har har. And, but that was that was truly the case. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it, but it was it, it really happened where where a lot of times in the nineties it was one of those weird misdiagnoses. That'll be eight hundred dollars. Like people would get Lyme disease um, and the doctors would be like, I don't fucking know. Yeah, so it's Take like more this weird C. thing where like he went to a bunch of doctors, they couldn't they Good couldn't luck. agree on what the fuck was actually happening. Your toes are probably gonna fall off. And but. apparently, yeah, there's something called that it, it's referred to as chronic Lyme disease, where it's like it's like basically like inexplicable it's like a it's like a, a a number of inexplicable symptoms right like that don't have any real source right something like that and so yeah so now you know now I right. mean, so that was in the that was like in the mid 90s when he first kind of started yeah kind of having issues with that and and then like you said their last album was in 98 and and since then he he doesn't he he doesn't act anymore. He doesn't. I don't think he performs music anymore, and it's a lot of it is because of his his medical condition here. Um, nope. But while he's not doing those things, what is he doing? Nope. <laughs> Painting like a son of a bitch. Yep. Uh, <laughs> he's painting like a motherfucker. <laughs> He, uh, so, so he's painting. And so this is one of the things, so he's been painting for a while now, um, you know, a lot longer than just, you know, within the last few years. Um, but this is the piece that, 
This is the piece that really draws me to him and his story, I think, in that he's not Don't talk just, to me. <laughs> so we kind of talked about how he's one of those like performers, performers, where he's just like, don't try and categorize my shit and kind of, you know, you know, just, yeah, just let me do my thing and, and all that stuff. But the truth of the matter is, and, and, and we said he was kind of, you know, he's, there's plenty of interviews with him and plenty of performances where he's completely warm and, and, and engaging. But, um, the truth of the matter is he, he is that type of person where he is, you know, uh, very personable and, 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 uh, warm and engaging. It's just when it comes to like the media, I guess, quote unquote, he kind of, he kind of sometimes, you know, in the past, you know, there's been some, some, Sometimes where he's kind of shut down and just not wanted to do it, which is fairly normal for any any uh, musician or artist, I would say. Um, and and it's and the thing that like kind of has drawn me to him, I guess, and what may be really interested in some of the things that he's done uh, is that painting with John started kind of a while ago so that's that's the name of his current show it's on it's on hbo um it started kind of a while ago as kind of an experiment um because he was already painting and he was kind of shooting himself uh with with cameras and things and um he started posting these things online instagram things like that and the reason he did was to kind of just uh you know bring happiness to people bring joy to people because he somebody was kind of like hey John, we like your paintings and we like the fact that, you know, we, we want to hear about how you make them and people will like that. And so we kind of started doing it. And so a little bit of background, he lives in, on an Island in the Caribbean, (laughs) uh, just like a weird, you know, kind of not a compound, but like a a house, like a huge track of land. Kind of, kind of <laughs> a house on a huge a house on a huge tract of land and um there's not a lot you know he lives he, he lives he lives in a village kind of and uh and he you know it's not like you know he's not living in the city or anything and um and so he's he's kind of been isolated for a long time and so he's doing these paintings and he's he's living on this this island and he's kind of isolated and then covid hits and he started to he says he started to realize like he's in this u- unique position um to kind of <laughs> be like hey like to to the world really kind of like hey you know i've been i've been doing this for years now (laughs) i've been i've been locked up in fucking isolation for who for god knows how long um let me help you and so that was kind of like his whole that was kind of like the whole thing that brought painting with john kind of to uh the forefront is that he was like you know i've been doing this for a long time i felt like i could i could kind of show people like the way is an isolationist already kind of like doesn't have to be bad and also kind of show them how to paint. And so, uh, that's kind of where it started. And then they kind of formalized it and kind of made it a production out of it. And now it's on, it's on HBO and you can, can watch some of the episodes. There's tons of stuff on, on Instagram too, of some of his clips and things that he's been doing for a long time, but, um, that's the formal version. And so I thought that was really interesting. Like he seems like this rough, jaded guy, and really at the heart of it, he's just like, 
he's really wanting to show right. the same same as like you know your Bob Rosses yeah, and things like right. that. He just wants to. Right. He's just That's excited cool. to 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 share some right. some form what makes him happy with other people exactly. to make them happy. And and that's like that's art yeah. in its most pure, you know. D- d- that's why we do it, the podcast. Exactly. We 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 don't yeah. care how many I mean, people listen to it, but it yeah, makes I mean, us happy. Uh, and I think if it makes one other stuff, person happy you know, by um, listening to it and listening, listening to us talk about kind of things, John Laurie, then um, whether it's photography or art or um, or filmmaking or or podcast or whatever the case may be, um, making cocktails, yeah, like. You you do you do those things, Music. yeah, because you're you're compelled Making cocktails, to, you know, um, because you have an interest in it, and um, and so and then regard like and and you enjoy the process of it, you know, mm-hmm. and so regardless, uh, so it, if someone ends up seeing a little film you made or someone ends up listening to uh, some music that right. you made or someone sees uh, a piece of art that you, you painted or you drew or whatever, or someone hears this podcast like that's and, and enjoys it. It gets something out of it. That's just like, you know, that's just a little something extra, but that's not really, you know, why creative people do what they do. I mean, I would say most creative people don't, they don't do that for necessarily for the recognition, for, you know, the attention for this and whatever. Um, But you do it because you like it and you enjoy it. And it it gives, it, 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 it satisfies something deep inside of you, you know? Um, And, and yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty cool. I mean, I, I, yeah, I have not watched an episode of this show yet, but I mean, I, right. I love. Uh, I mean, I, I I used to watch Bob Ross and paint. You know, the joy of painting with Bob Ross a lot, and uh, no, I no. love that show. <laughs> and so, which, <laughs> which, which is hilarious because one of the first things he says in painting with John and is what, what's, Bob Ross was wrong. And so, what's his reasoning? Everybody, for can, everybody, everybody can't, can't paint. paint. And that, and that's kind of where he goes. That's kind of how it starts. Um, he says everybody starts out. Uh, young, hmm. you know, at a young age, yes, everybody has artistic ability and everybody has the ability to learn how to paint. But at some point, you lose that, and so, so to say that, like, you know, at a later age when you're old and jaded and and not at your you creative best to be able to go back and old dog learn how to paint and and make something artistic um, hmm. is is kind that. of foolish. Not that's sure. that's his reasoning. Not sure if I agree with that. Kind of, yeah. I I I think he means I think I think he means more more in a more in a symbolic sense. You know, yeah. Not, at some point the ship has sailed, you know, at some point yeah, at I some can, point life beats you that. down to the point where you're you're just not going to paint. Yeah. You know, it's it's a little bit more of a meta metaphor than uh than just everybody does everybody can't develop the the skill set. 
um, because painting is about feeling. You know, I think that's, you know, one of the other things he says is, 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 uh, his paintings, his paintings are good because he won't let them be bad. He, he, he just, he, he just is so determined that the, to, to have them not be bad, that he just works on them to the point that they're good. And so I think that's kind of what he's getting at is like some people just, they just want to put in the motions and they just want to, they just feel like they can just slap whatever on a canvas Hmm. and, and, and call it painting, but yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not really, it's not really satisfying yeah, I mean, the artistic it, it interesting within because, themselves. Um, because yeah, there's know. all kinds of people. There, there's all, I'm, I'm, I'm just reading there's people it. that are doing all kinds of creative kind of things. And some of them are, are true, are true. And, and what, who, I mean, then, then again, who's the, what's to say and who's to say is a true artist and isn't, and who isn't, um, you know, there are people that phone, phone this kind of stuff in regard regardless of what whatever kind of whatever kind of uh creative you know uh project you're talking about whether it's painting photography or filmmaking or music or whatever um yeah there are certainly always going to be people that kind of go about it in a lazy way and and in an uninspired way um and you have so you have your true artist, and then you have your kind of, you know, phonies. But who's to say which is yeah. which? It's all kind of it's subjective. You know, I don't know. So yeah, it's it, it's interesting, and I I do really I, I would like to watch the show because it is I like I said. Um, the only thing I've, the only video I've actually seen of him is that original video you sent, like from like the late 80s or whatever, where they were on that talk show. So I don't, I don't know much about his kind of like his demeanor, his personality, how he, how he speaks, how he comes across, blah, blah, blah. Um, but he, I mean, he definitely seems like an interesting character. And, and I, I'd like to, I'd like to check some of that stuff. Oh my out God. It does seem kind of like it would be, uh, yeah, that there, there's definitely some entertainment value there, but you know, even more, even beyond that too, you know, maybe something a little deeper. Um, so, so let's talk about the album because we've been talking about who. I mean, I don't know how. I don't even know how long we've been yeah. blabbing on about everything else. Um, the actual. So album, let's talk about yeah, the album. So, Voice of Chunk, 1988, Lounge Lizards. Uh. So this this album is is kind of yeah. interesting because what what uh, uh, like the, what, what the kind first of, half what tracks of the album you like on this album speaks pretty strongly to me, and, and then the set the second half of the album kind of just kind of loses me a little bit. Uh, uh, yeah. So uh, some uh, you know the first. Um, First four tracks are, are pretty solid. I really enjoy um, the the opening track here is called <laughs> is and there's kind of some interesting uh, interesting title names here for some of these tracks. The first one is called so the opening track is called Bob the Bob, which I have no fucking clue what that means. Um, but I like this track a lot. Um, yeah, it's yep. it's one of my it's actually one of my favorite tracks on the album. Yep. Um 
I I love the tone and the vibe to it. Yeah, it's, it's great. It's so it's it's a little more um I would say traditional kind of jazz. Um it's a little easier on the ears, uh much more melodious than you know some of the other tracks on on the yeah. you know the second half of the album. Um and uh it's just kind of yeah it's 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 just got it's got a nice vibe to it it's, it kind of starts off you know kind of prom- prominently saxophone and then there's kind of like some like drum brushing and then there's some like kind of like uh a little more a little more subtle like kind of guitar like finger picking um and then kind of the drums kind of come in and um but yeah it's it, it's definitely you know one of the more traditional kind of jazz tracks yeah. on the album and it's definitely a sound it's definitely a, a sound and a flavor that that i prefer when it comes to jazz um yeah i could see that yeah yeah i i as as far as as far as like you said, the first four it, songs, the voice of junk is probably my favorite. It's kind of has that like I don't know. It's that's the first track that you sent me. It's kind of all over the place. Video them performing it in that and you know live on that show, and it does kind of have like this. And not to not to cut you off, it does kind of have this like big kind of sound, big energy to it. Um. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah, it's got a lot of a lot of like I said earlier, it's got a lot of weird time stuff, you know, different parts of the band working at different times where they kind of overlap. Um, you know, the the drums, I love the drums just kind of like all over the place. It's not, you know, just dropping out a normal 4/4 rhythm and and you know, regular old uh, you know, rock rock pacing. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, and it's it's yeah, got some great sax and yeah, there's and, definitely um, like a, like a couple minutes and into then the it track. goes into like a it, cool like, like guitar this, like, blues middle, kind of bluesy is, guitar breakdown too that um, gets, that gets I really, really like that really kind of like that to me is not traditional kind of jazz that that is very yeah. atypical you know like that that's not what you you know what you're you. When you think of jazz, that's not what you think of. That it definitely has more of like a, a bluesy right. kind of, like almost kind of like seventies rock and roll kind of like um, a vibe to it. And right, um, yeah, I, I really I do like that. I like this track a lot. It's pretty good. Um, oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's. And then it and then it gets like super discordant right. at the end where it's like everything's just kind of just blaring, uh, which is which is kind of like a callback you said to some of their yeah, early albums. Yeah, but I will say like where it's, where it's it, just it doesn't like reach the point of that where weird, like, oh my cut, crazy eight-tonal like, <laughs> discordant. You know, like that first album, like there were a couple of tracks where I'm like, oh, I can't fucking listen to this. I I like had to skip the track. I like this is just not like Fatty Walks. Right. Um, yeah, there's a track on one of their on the first album called "Fatty Walks," and I think that does have some kind of crazy Fatty shit Walks? going on in it. But um, yeah, this, so I mean, this to me is like this to me is kind of the 
Great names. Uh, It's it's the it's definitely the band kind of firing on all cylinders, Um, but and it's and and it does get kind of it does get kind of crazy and you know but and and a big sound and and it can be it can kind of sound a little cluttered at times, but to me it it never gets to the point where it's like unlistenable or it's like it's a turn off. and like I said, some of their other earlier stuff was like that, where I was like, I can't fucking listen to this. It's just like, it's too, you know, right? It's just too much. But uh, but yeah, this this is kind of like, I, I feel like it's it's them kind of like calling back too out there to their roots, but doing it in a, in a way that is still a little bit more accessible. Um, but yeah, I like. Um, so, I mean, like I said, I do prefer, I, yeah. I, I prefer the, the first half. What other, uh, what other songs you like on the to, album? To the second half. Um, so the, the, the third track is called One Big Yes. And this is, this is kind of similar in sound and structure to, to the previous track, the one we just talked about, Voice of Chunk. I know. Well, I, I don't know how much you have to talk you're, about, but like, like you're I said, always the one the that's first like, half of the album go through the tracks, track by is track, what I prefer. And, and then so you I'm just not, immediately start to fucking say about the last half of the album. Um, other than I don't like it. <laughs> um, so true. I do, you know, one big yes, I like it. It It is kind of similar. It's a little, it's similar, I think, in, in structure and sound to Voice of Chunk, which we just talked about in, in that it's, it's, it's. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's one of the things that's one of the things that happens in this whole album is is some of the uh <laughs> some of the melodies that are there repeat through a lot right. of these songs that kind of tie the whole thing together. Well, obviously Bob the Bob and Bob the Bob Home. Right. Um, it, <laughs> they're they're like sweeter. very similar songs. They get a little Bob sweeter the Bob on Home bedtime. is like kind of a more <laughs> mellow version of Bob the Bob. Uh, um it's a little a little sweeter. Um but yeah i yeah definitely one big yes there's it's uh one one big yes is is another track that uh, i think it shows up very layered maybe uncle Um, jerry or something a lot of instrumentation um and and this this one is it has more uh this one so as opposed to the previous track uh voice of chunk this one has more is is more of a, a more overt uh, trumpet and drums, much more focus on trumpet and drums, um, but a lot, but much like uh, the voice of trunk, the trunk, the voice, yeah, <laughs> the much like the voice of chunk, <laughs> much like the previous track, it it, it kind of has another breakdown trunk um, around the same. Around the same point, of junk. about two minutes in, it, but this time instead of instead of like a bluesy guitar, it's uh it's a more of a trumpet uh, breakdown, and uh, yeah, I, I like that yeah. one too. It's it's it gets noisy, it gets rambunctious, uh, but it's it's an enjoyable track. I, I like it. Um, what do I hate on this of this from this whole album? 
So I gotta say, hate? my least favorite track. Tell me what you hate. Yeah. 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 Sharks. Yeah. Same here. Sharks is. It's it's not that it's a bad song, I guess. It's just that it's it's like it's super frantic. <laughs> like to me, Sharks is like if I you know we're from the Midwest, <laughs> and if you were to go up to like any random Jamoke outside of Chicago and be like, "What do you think about jazz?" They'd either be like yeah. Kenny G, right. or they'd be like right. Sharks. It'd be like the frantic, yeah, crazy. And that's what Sharks is. Is it's like that crazy, frantic jazz, um, yeah, kind of sound. It's which, yeah, it's just it's uh, not my. You know, it's not my. We're jam. not jazz guys not, by any means. But um, it's it's not it's yeah, not my bag, baby. <laughs> um, uh, it's uh, and it's kind of an odd placement. It's on the album jam, it's baby. Like the second to I'm last a daiquiri track. man. And it's like the craziest and most random thing. And then it's just like, <laughs> it's kind of, it's kind of a weird placement. It's like, why was this yeah. even included? Just kind of like, but I don't well, mean, I guess, I mean, there are people that like, there are yeah. people that like that kind of sound. I, 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 I don't, it's not my, it's not my thing. Um, yeah. Well, I am, it's true, but it's still not my thing. Oh um, Yeah. <laughs> Well, Are you about to call me a jackass again? <laughs> well, well, again, you're a jackass. <laughs> it's a real... um, so uh, how, how about you? Do you have no. some, do you have a? I mean, no. so we've established Sharks is probably the least favorite track on the album. <laughs> to reiterate, it's unanimous. Jackass. It's yeah. Yeah, I, I don't, I'm not a huge fan it's of a paper bag the, in the sun either. It's um, not frantic. It's just, but it is one of the. It's I super would say ambient. It's, it's probably it's just the most very just experimental like track on the album. A lot of noise. Um, and it's, it's also not the frantic. <laughs> so that that's a bad combination of like being the most experimental and also the longest. Um, yeah. But it's not. It's long. Without yeah. its and no, uh, it's not without its. Uh, yeah. It's. Yeah. It, it it's not without its uh, charms. I mean, it has so that there are, there are elements to it that I like. It's not completely like you said, like you said, it's not completely atonal or discordant or any, you know. It's, yeah. It it has melody in it. Um, you know, there's kind of like this spiraling, uh, like I don't know if it's right alto right. or I don't know if it's alto or soprano sax. Um, it's a higher sax, <laughs> but it's definitely a higher. Uh, higher note um but it's kind of like the spiraling kind of sense it's kind of this spiraling saxophone melody that is like slowly interspersed with like these brief interjections of what sounds like um like electric guitar and drums where it's like and then it just will stop and then it'll come back and it just kind of comes in and out and then it kind of grows in 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 become mm-hmm. there are longer sections of that you know what i mean and and so that kind of builds until it takes on this kind of kind of chaotic sound 
and then it quiets yeah. and it, and it re- reverts back to that kind of spiraling kind of saxophone melody with a little bit of piano and stuff like that. And then these like tribal kind of like drums kind of come in toward the end. And it's kind of, yeah, it's definitely, like I said, it's, it's one, of, it's definitely the most experimental track on the album. Um, and, 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 not, and not one of my favorites. Um, did you have some other tracks that were more of your favorites that we haven't talked about? Yeah. No, mm-hmm. not necessarily. I, I the only other ones I'd point out are like the hanging and tarantula and travel. Um, the three of those I I wouldn't say are like ones that I love, mm-hmm. but I like all three of them, and I feel like I, that's. Yeah, when the I listen to those, I get that, that composer is, vibe. Like each kind of, one of those, kind of I feel like that more traditional kind of jazz, kind of classic jazz sound, like pretty easily. Um, specifically, kind of has like a that kind of New Orleans kind of um, jazz sound that, yeah, and, and also very kind of like Inyo a film noir kind of vibe to it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's I get that. Yeah, like I get, like you could yeah. you could replace yeah. Inyo Morricone's. So I, I do. I, uh, yeah, I like uh, the hanging. That's, that's actually the another one. That, like the intro that, uh, with this I really, song, and I, I, really I probably, like, probably wouldn't the, know the difference. Aside from kind of the like we talked about, Bob the Bob Home, which is kind of more of really just a reprise of of the opening track, but a little bit longer. Um, uh, the hanging is probably the last track on the album that I really enjoy. Yeah. Um, like you said, paper bag in the sun is what it is. I'm not a big fan of tarantula tarantula. I don't know how you say that. It's, it's not tarantula, but it, it's spelled differently. <laughs> that song's kind of weird. Tarantula. It's, uh, it, I just say, tra- it, I just say has, tarantula. I'm going to, I'm going to use this word again. I've used it before. I know it Jaunty. is. I'm kind of surprised. I'm kind of surprised you even like it because it has that kind of like bouncy, kind of jaunty piano, kind of yeah, almost bit. like semi like fucking circus sideshow pirate. It's like a pirate sea shanty. Yeah. It, w- it reminds me of like a <laughs> yeah. It reminds I, I I have it. It reminds me of Danny Elfman scored a mobster movie, like <laughs> that's like funny. Danny like Danny Elfman from like Pee Wee's Big Adventure. If instead and of yeah, Pee Wee's Big Adventure, is, he has like that, his first actually it's the only so it's the only track on the album movie. that has vocals. That's that's what uh, that movie toward the that's end what that track and it's like yeah, Scooby Dooby Dooby, and it's just like it kind of reminds me, right? It's just that screaming. <laughs> It does kind of remind me of like a pirate, like sea shanty kind of like, um, go fuck but, yourself. Do 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 do. Yeah. And then that, that kind of covers all the tracks. I, I do like travel. Uh, yeah. you mentioned that one. Um, and that one is kind of unique in that it's, it's one of the only tracks on the album that is, um, it, it, yeah, is like piano driven. It's very, it's very purely piano driven. Um, 
I don't know if you had any any thoughts on that one. It's yeah. Mm-hmm. Inch. No, it's it was just another one that I felt like could could fit in a film score. It just had a very. It's funny um, that you say that because one had a very one of the things that I, I, I composition I noted here like for it, this it track. Fit over and I don't, and I don't know if you picked on it or if it was just like a subconscious thing because you talk about it. You're, you're saying it reminds you of something that would be in a movie. I, did you pick up on the fact that there's a a piano melody within this within the track that sounds like the Halloween theme? like john carpenter's halloween theme but set at a but set at a faster tempo i don't know if you go back to that and check it out like there's there's this certain there's a piano melody within the track where it's kind of like like at a faster tempo and it reminds me of like you know kind of like it it is similar to that um and <laughs> yeah. Not that good. No, no, no. That's we'll we'll revisit that one. That's what you're talking about, right? Different, different, different. Oh. <laughs> oh, that that uh, that's different. That's something else. I gotta well, get uh, inside. That's something else. Um, so that is, uh, that's our episode. Um, that's, that's the, the, the lounge lizards. That's, uh, John Lurie. That's voice of chunk. That's the sidecar. That's yeah. That's, that's the whole, that's the whole kitten caboodle. Oh, kitten caboodle. Voice of chunk. Kitten caboodle. So what are we talking about next week, Luke? Ooh, what are we talking about next week? It's no seriously, uh, I, for- no, seriously I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> I I forgot. Um, we are talking about a we're we're going back to the synth. It's time for another synth episode, and so synth we days. are going to talk about a uh, an artist. I guess oh. one dude, as so mm-hmm. often happens with synth. Yep, um, flying flying solo. Flying solo by the seat of his butthole. Butthole. (laughs) 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 But he uh, he's got a great name. He's Mm -hmm. got some great albums. A little little man by the name of (laughs) Com Trues. Com Trues. Name of Com Trues. Yeah, (laughs) which is. A play on Tom Cruise for those of you who aren't aware. Obviously, yes, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, that'll be fun. Uh, yeah, I recall. I recall listening to that album. Probably one of his one of the only albums by him that I kind of like actually started listening to like right when it was released. All the other stuff was like I kind of found out about him after he had released some albums, so I had to go back through his catalog. This one I was already aware of him and. And when that came out, I, I listened to it right away, and I, yeah, I dig that album. And that's the album we're going to talk about next week. Right. Persuasion System, correct? Persuasion System, that's right. Nice. Yeah, that'll be fun. I'm looking forward to that. Me too. 
It'll be a good album right. to listen to all this week. Yes. All right, all right. everybody. Well, uh, thanks for listening, and we'll uh, we'll see you next week with some seanth. Thank you for listening to Sip and Spin with Luke and Andy. Cheers. <laughs>